0: Hello and welcome to episode 67 of The Witcher, of what? (laughs) The Witcher, chapter by chapter book review, where I'll go through a summary of the latest chapter and give my detailed thoughts on it. Today I'm discussing chapter 18 from Season of Storms. Just one chapter today, if you hadn't been able to tell from the title. This chapter is long enough that I think we can reduce it to just one episode or reduce the episode to one chapter. I mean, um, a lot happens and there's a lot of detail around everything that happens. Uh, so it might be a little bit shorter because it's only one chapter, but still longer than most of the other chapters in this book would have been if we only covered just that, those, uh, said chapters in one episode. Um, So, uh, but I think that's what we're going to do for chapters 19 and 20. 19's really short, but there is an interlude that follows it. So I'll group that with 19, but it's still, I, I anticipate the next one will be quick and I could have put it with 20, but because 20 is going to be the final episode of this series, I'd rather... Just drag it out by one more (laughs) if I can. If I find an opportunity to do that, I'm going to do it. This is sad. I'm feeling really bummed that it's coming to an end. But I have said this before. I'll say it again. I'll continue this series with another series of books. I just have to decide what. And even if I... I I know that um, a lot of you have suggested different things. So if I don't go with your suggestion, that doesn't mean I never will. Um, So whenever I do get around to... Starting this back up with another series, um, you can anticipate that there will be another to follow that one. But um, I still haven't even decided what the next one's going to be, and I um, I know that it's going to be a long time before I even do it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to working on other things for my YouTube channel. Uh, And I say that because I know a lot of you do listen to this on YouTube, but I say that to anybody that might listen to this only on Spotify or Apple podcast. Okay, so we'll go through the recap of what happened in the last episode, and then we'll summarize chapter 18, and then we'll talk about it. So recap. Geralt returns to Kerak, where he considers protecting the king at his wedding like he was previously asked to do, and where he meets Penity who gives him updates on Sorrel Daggerland. Geralt made his way into the citadel in Mount Cremora, the place of Daggerland's house arrest, and after discovering the many gruesome sights and gruesome crimes that he's been committing, he finds a sorcerer and kills him. Summary time. Geralt attends Bellahun's wedding as a bodyguard as tasked by Prince Eggmund. There he learns from Coral that the king's betrothed is an Aratusa expellee who may be associated with Acheronia. Acarontia? I don't know how you say the name of this damn boat, but I'm gonna go with Acheronia. A mercenary ship that is currently docked in the Karak harbor. Geralt finds Ferrant to warn him about the danger this imposes on the king, But the king announces that he hired Agaronia and then permanently banishes both his sons, Xander and Eggman, who had plans to assassinate their father today. Even after Eggman was taken away, his other plans that the king did not know of start to unfold. By threatening to kill Dandelion, Eggman's men force Geralt to kill all of the king's protectors so that the king can be left vulnerable to an assassination. Geralt gets the upper hand and doesn't perform the task they want, but joins Ferrant again to inform the king of Eggman's failed plan. Belahoon is surrounded by too many people for them to get to him, so Geralt can do nothing when he sees the necklace bearing the Karak coat of arms, a gift from his betrothed, suddenly tighten around his neck and strangle him to death. Immediately following his death, Belahoon's already banished son, Varaxis enters the palace and declares himself the new king. So that is a big deal. <laughs> uh, we're not attached to Bellahun, so pardon me if I show no sympathy. He wasn't a very nice guy. He wasn't terrible. Coral kind of sums it up in a nice way. Um, I think I have a note on that somewhere in my long page pages upon pages of notes. So I'll mention it when I get to it, but um, it's still kind of wild. And it's, 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 of course, Geralt would be there <laughs> when something like that happens. Okay, well, let's take it from the top of the chapter. So this whole chapter takes place on the same day, the same morning, in fact. And it's, of course, the day of the royal wedding. And the celebrations were meant to take place from morning until night. But they got cut short in like the early afternoon-ish. So... Geralt shows up with Dandelion. Uh, Dandelion was invited as a relative of her aunt's, which she was not happy about at first, since he would have preferred to, to be invited based on his own merit because he's a famous musician. And he also would have been asked or would have preferred to have been asked to perform, but that didn't happen. He gets over it quickly, though, and he, he attends uh, per his original invite. But Geralt and Ferrant find each other, and Ferrant brings Geralt to the prince, to Prince Eggman, who has Geralt hand over his sword to the captain of guards. And the captain is a guy named Rop, and he's got strange eyes and a prepossessing look. And it's funny because it kind of should have seemed suspicious from here that as a bodyguard, Geralt was asked to give up his sword. But Eggman assures him that it's going to be nearby the whole time. We just don't want you walking around this wedding with a sword. Like, you'll you'll have access to it. It'll be returned to you immediately if anything should happen. Uh, but it's funny because there's, like, little hints here and there leading up to what actually goes on, like, the, the big event, the climax of this chapter, um, that that was going to happen. But um, it's, like, from the perspective of a character, the perspective of Geralt, you can't really blame him for not seeing the signs. But as the reader, too, when I read this through the first time, I didn't actually see a lot of those signs. Like, I I knew something had to have happened. I didn't know what exactly. I mean, the idea of the king getting assassinated was on your mind, knowing that that's why Geralt was there, was to protect him from that. But it doesn't always... Things don't always play out in a story based on what's been said earlier. Sometimes they try to subvert expectations. Um, but still like some of the little signs, I I didn't um, know that things were going to play out exactly the way that they did. But when I read the chapter again, like when I reread it, the second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever, um, I was thinking, Oh yeah, this actually, all of the signs were right there. Everything was pointing to what was going to end up happening. Um, but that's that. So when Geralt relinquishes his sword to Captain Rob, Eggman admires it for a second, res- recognizing its um Viroledon origins and references one that he used to have but was stolen by his banished brother, Veraxis. It's funny, you should mention Varaxis. And uh, since they're on the topic of swords, Geralt asks Eggman, what's up with his, since They were supposed to have been found and returned to him as a condition for being here, performing this task. To which Eggman says that the investigation is still ongoing so you may yet get them back. And that's just a pretty irritating thing to hear for Geralt because he should have already gotten them back per the deal. Like, if there was any chance that they couldn't fulfill their promise, then they shouldn't have made it in the first place. I mean, you can't expect them to do the impossible, but they said, yeah, we'll get you your swords back by the wedding and you'll have those to use to protect the king. But uh, that's not what happened. They're not as reliable as they made themselves out to be, but I guess uh, a lot of people are just kind of like that. And then he says uh, they actually have a suspect. So this is news. They, um i says that they have a suspect and Ferrant says that the investigation indicated Nick moose or however the hell you say that guy's name. Um, but he's fled, but it's kind of impressive that they were able to figure out who the criminal was. Um, but they were not able to catch him, which kind of sucks. I mean, he did get a pretty good punishment <laughs> from Yennefer. Um, but he should be locked up for what he did. Maybe it seems like that's what the, The law would uh, have happened here. Uh, But they searched his house, and as we already know, the swords weren't there. We know where the swords are at the moment, but these characters in this scene obviously do not. So once Eggman takes off, he exits the scene. Geralt uses the opportunity he has of being alone with Ferrant to confront him about something. So he accuses him of being the one who forged the false documents that were used to blackmail Geralt into at first they thought it was he thought it was assassinating the king when Eggman was pretending to be his brother Xander, and then still using those forged documents um, to try and convince Geralt to take on this job. And at first, Ferrant denies it. But Geralt presses him, and then he admits to it, saying, I was carrying out orders. Like, yeah, I did. I forged those documents, but I was only carrying out orders. Which, of course, is a bad excuse for unethical behavior and a poor way of trying to absolve oneself of personal responsibilities, but I digress. Uh, And you know Geralt's not going to accept that kind of answer. He doesn't. So Geralt returns to the area where the guests are arriving, and he runs into Coral and Mosaic, And they're talking for a little bit and Dandelion joins the discussion and he's verbally observing the guests who are entering and he notices Pyral Pratt and the woman who he's with. He recognizes her too and he's shocked by this woman because he recognizes her as Etna, a the widow who sold him the sword that he gave to Geralt that ended up breaking, so the fake Veriliden sword. And to this, Coral points out, well... She's not a widow. uh, She's never been married. And her name is really, it's not Etna Sider, it's Antia Daris. We know who that is. She points out that it's Pyral Pratt's daughter. So Antia Daris, um, the one, she was the one posing as Etna Sider. Um, She was the one who knew, like Pyral Pratt said that the broker of the swords, he knew personally. Um, We didn't know exactly how pers- how personal the relationship was until now, but it makes sense that she would know that Geralt was in need of a sword and then would sell him this crappy one um, while she's the one helping get his real swords, his, his own swords, sold after they were taken from him. So, um, you yeah, know, we don't feel too good about her. But the reason that Dandelion didn't recognize her as Pratt's daughter when he met her at the bank or today, originally, um, because, and he thought that he would have recognized a member of Dandelion or of Pyro Pratt's family because he performed at Pratt's granddaughter's wedding before. That's because, um, she and her father turned out to not be very close. They only really talk as it concerns business affairs. So it is a bit strange that she would be accompanying, accompanying him to a wedding, but that's what they're doing. So... All of this is established. And then Coral asks Dandelion to take Mosaic and introduce her to people because she wants a chance to be alone with Carol. They haven't been alone together in quite a little bit of time, haven't had the chance to catch up. So Coral tells Carol the latest gossip from Risberg. So we get the tea and we find out that Ortolan is dead. I don't sympathize for this man's death. And it's rumored, so there's like an official... um, Release of his cause of death, uh, but it's rumored that what really happened was that he had a stroke upon learning of Daggerland's death. And Daggerland's death is said to have been caused by an unsuccessful and highly suspicious experiment. You know, I'm sure they were able to tell that he was actually murdered. So I think that they're passing off this false story to continue covering up scandals that this guy keeps almost causing them. But if they're not going to tell the truth about his death, perhaps they're not really going to investigate the murder, which means that Geralt's probably off the hook. Like, we don't have to worry about Geralt getting arrested for that because the mages at Risberg were probably going to see that Geralt would be arrested if he tried to or successfully killed Daggerlin. Um, and it also seems like a decent amount of time has passed since they killed him anyway. So if anything were to happen, it probably would have happened by now since I think Geralt would have been a top suspect. Maybe. Everything is so secretive with them, so it's really hard to say. But, um yeah, I think enough time has gone by. I don't know exactly how much time, but I'm not like a like a year or a few months, but at least a few weeks. And I don't think it would take them that long to make moves if they were gonna. So Geralt's good. So Coral asks Geralt if he met Daggerlin and he kind of coyly says, Oh, I may have, I don't know. i met many sorcerers. <laughs> I thought that was funny, but following Orderland's death, many staffing changes began to take place at Risberg because his death provoked a response from the chapter who'd already been aware of suspicious activity surrounding Ordalin and Daggerlin. And we know that Beruta O'Cardee addressed the situation with the chapter. There was that interlude. That was her letter written to them about the situation. But apparently Constable Torquil, he was like almost obsessed with getting um, to the bottom of this stuff and making sure that justice was served. Uh, He got his boss to take action. And eventually, I guess he talked to someone who talked to someone and went up the chain until the chapter got notified. And then... He got in, or um, the chapter got involved, uh, and a lot of the mages that Geralt met at Risberg got fired, except for the one, his name is Dan Janus, and he only got to keep his job because he informed on the others. Just a lot of unscrupulous activity that goes on at Risberg. But Coral points out that these things all took place right after Geralt visited there, but he plays it off like he had nothing to do with any of it. Just another funny thing but of course he's not going to admit that to coral it's just funny like the way he goes about like oh i don't, I don't know that's nothing to do with me and it's like i think you uh overrate me and she's like mm, no i don't think so <laughs> um but i was thinking with orderland's death and the removal of most of the council members perhaps risberg will go into decline and close up shop And i think that'd be good because they're supposed to be doing things to benefit the world and humankind. And it sounds like they cause way more harm than good. With everything we've heard, whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish, like the good things, they either don't go very far or, <laughs> or a bunch of people just get killed. Uh, like the Eater, for example, that was created there. And that was they had how however many they made. And Geralt killed one at the beginning of the book, and it was killing innocent people. That's why he was hired out to kill it. So hopefully that's what happens. And honestly, it could have happened because you never hear of Risberg in the main series at all. It never comes up. So maybe that's because it doesn't exist by the time we get to the main series. So as they're talking, as the two of them are talking, King Ballyhun and his betrothed enter and they make their way to sit on these thrones. It's this um, royal procession and they sit there briefly and then they get up and they leave. Uh, but as they're leaving, the bride, who goes by the name of Ildiko Breckel, she spots Coral, and a look of pure loathing can immediately be found on her face. Then Coral brings Geralt aside and she says who that is. She says that Ildiko was kicked out of Eratusa for theft and that wherever she goes, trouble follows. And she also tells Geralt that... He needs to keep his eyes open because she spotted Acheronia in the harbor, this mercenary ship, and wherever that goes, something always happens. So that combination isn't looking good, and this is very troubling for Geralt, someone acting as a bodyguard. Uh, so he goes to look for Ferrat to give him the 411 on what's going on now on these new updates. And while he's on his way to looking for Ferran, he bumps into Mosaic, who is no longer accompanied by Dandelion. She says that he was invited by a soldierly-looking man with a strange expression in his eyes to perform for the queen and her ladies-in-waiting. Uh-oh. It's another sign of something's about to go on. It all just, it was just pointing, like, it was, like, right in in your face. I didn't really, I mean, I knew something was up, but... I didn't realize Dandelion was going to be used as a hostage, kind of sort of. So Geralt takes off to the palace and he's barred from entry while he's trying to find Ferrant, who he eventually shows up. And then Geralt tells him about Acheronia. And Ferrant is familiar with this too. So the two of them take off to find Eggman since Geralt was hired by Eggman to protect the king. And he's probably a little easier to get a hold of than the king, but they actually find the king himself before Eggman. And there is reason for that. So when the king sees them, he recognizes Geralt as the witcher who engages in swindles. So that's not what you want to hear. I mean, he's not trying to impress this king, but he is trying to save his life. And the king really doesn't like him without even having met him before. But Ferrant comes to his defense saying Geralt turned out to be innocent, but the king doesn't buy it. And he tells Geralt to get out of his sight. Uh, But Farrant interjects, letting him know about Acheronia, and he offers Geralt as help to protect him if something really is going down. And then Bellahun reveals that he already knew that Eggman hired him to do exactly that. And he then invites them to follow him into a room where his sons, Xander and Eggman, are guarded and seated on a bench. It's really obvious when they see Xander that he is terrified, but Eggman doesn't show any traces of fear. Then Bellahun gets to the point of this little meeting. He discovered through the betrayal of his son's most trusted comrades that they were both trying to have him assassinated. And there's no surprise here at Xander's attempt, since Eggman made it clear Xander was the one he was worried about. Uh, But since Eggman hired Geralt, you'd think he wouldn't be trying to kill his father himself. Geralt was hired by Eggman to protect the king against assassinations. But turns out that's why he hired Geralt to throw off the scent. But, But Bellahun calls Eggman cunning and says that he kept his hiring of Geralt a secret, but he also made sure everyone found out about the secret so that no one would suspect him. But the king learned that Eggman was trying to kill him and he was trying to do so by placing contact poison on the King's fireplace poker that nobody else is allowed to touch. So even after all of these reveals, Eggman doesn't show any fear. And there's a reason for that too. So Bellahun says that the court will sentence them to exile and they will leave on Acronia, the frigate that was actually hired by himself. Then he orders them taken away to be locked up, and Geralt orders Captain Rop, or I'm sorry, <laughs> Geralt doesn't order Captain Rop to do anything. Um, the king orders Captain Rop to take Geralt away. So, as Rop is escorting Geralt, he sends the other guards away, with the exception of two of them, and then he takes Geralt into a chamber where Dandelion has a blade to his throat. Then Rop explains to Geralt that he's got to he's got to go to the royal chambers, and he needs to go there and kill the guards. And upon hearing the chaos, the king will be spirited away through a secret exit where there will be assassins waiting. So this is um, Eggman's other assassination attempt here. And if Geralt doesn't comply with these orders given to him right now, um, Dandelion is going to be slowly killed. So. This is why Dandelion was suddenly asked to perform in private. Like he came here not not having any invitation to perform and then at the wedding gets asked to perform just for the queen and her ladies-in-waiting. So it was suspicious from the beginning. So this seems like a really tough situation. Of course, Geralt doesn't want to kill those guards who don't deserve that. He doesn't want to contribute to the killing of a king. But he also doesn't want anything to happen to his friend. Um, it's Geralt, though, so surely he'll find some way out of it. And he does. Uh, he makes it seem like he's about to agree. And he tells the man to take the blade away from Dandelion. And then he uses this opportunity to strike. And he headbutts Rob hard. And then he cuts off the hand of the man who was threatening Dandelion. And then he kills the other two guards. So after they're all taken care of, Ferran enters the room and sees what happens. And Geralt tells him they were carrying out their orders. He's good. He's quick. <laughs> just love Geralt. Always have so many nice things to say about him. <laughs> I actually have to like curb it a little bit when I'm writing up my notes. I'm like, okay, I can't kiss Geralt's to ass too much. Like, it's just going to seem a bit ridiculous after a certain point. <laughs> so with these updates, they decide to make their way back to the king so they can inform him of what they just learned and they enter the chamber where the king is being fitted for his wedding clothes and there's a lot of people in there so um Geralt and Front couldn't get to him if they wanted they're forced against a wall and someone offers the king this like plate of jewels so we can take the jewels off and put them on and um He denies them. He doesn't want to wear the jewels. He says that he would just like to wear the necklace that was a gift from his betrothed with the crest of Karak. And he puts it on. And as it's too late to do anything, Geralt makes the connection. Remember seeing this medallion when he was captured by Daggerland. His cat, Daggerland's cat, kept swatting at the medallion while it was dangling. So the necklace suddenly tightens as much as it possibly can around his neck, so tight that he can't scream or, of course, breathe. Like he can't even get his fingers in between his neck and the chain. So he falls onto the floor and he stops moving and then the chain releases and they call for a physician who pronounced him dead. And he says that he died from bad vapors entering the body and poisoning the humors. Plus, all of the recent storms raised the heat of the blood. I found this strange. (laughs) I found it strange that this was the physician's prognosis because it says that the chain had cut deeply into his flesh. So, wouldn't he have seen that during his examination? I'm sure there's always a way, like, there's always an answer for little nitpick things like this. And I don't like to nitpick too much. I mean, I do very little of it considering how much of the series I have covered (laughs) up to now. Um, but this this is just one thing that I came out of thinking like, I mean, I guess because it was magically enchanted, they could have made it somehow that it wouldn't leave any scars. Or maybe the physician was working with Varaxxus, so he didn't want it to seem like the king was assassinated because it, they didn't want it to look bad on Varaxxus, even though it was obvious that he was the one behind it. And we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but also, the necklace... Uh, was it the same exact one Daggerland had? It doesn't say one way or the other here, so we don't know for sure, but I don't know. Maybe it'll come up again later. Maybe something else will point to it, having come from uh, the uh, Risberg mages. And plus, it was enchanted, so it would make sense if it came from them. So, perhaps Risberg was involved in Belhoun's assassination, but boy... So many attempts on this man's life today. You can't really be too surprised that one of them actually took. Like, one of them had to. But, yeah, all of his sons wanted him dead. Well, I guess the those three sons. He did have bastard children that, um, hey, maybe they were trying to kill him too. <laughs> we just didn't find out about those because they failed. Uh, but, anyway. So, once the physician announces the king's death... The sound of loud footsteps can be heard from the corridors, and a giant guardsman enters the room, telling everyone to proceed to the throne, or to the throne room by order of the king. So they go, and they see some pirate-looking mercenaries present. No doubt, the crew of Acrimonia. Additionally, they see a man sitting on the throne, and next to him is Ildeko Breckel, staring at him with adoration, showing that they already knew each other, really well. So the guy the, the giant guard announces him as Prince Veraxis of Karak. Now King Veraxis. Veraxis, the son, who ended up successfully killing his father for his throne, says that Acheronia was hired by him. Felhun thought he was the one that hired them, but it turns out it was really Varaxus. Um, He also says he's going to combine his coronation with his nuptials, which are going to be to Bellahun's bride, in keeping with a Karak law enacted centuries ago, where if the king dies before the wedding, the fiancé will wed the closest unmarried relative, which is interesting since Karak is less than a century old, but no one's going to call him out on that because he's king now, and they're all more than willing to accept and respect that. So while all of this is going on, Ferrant whispers to Geralt to take Dandelion and leave. Don't let anybody link you with all of this. That's a great idea. Then Veraxis says uh, he expects his father's servants to agree to serve him now, and he specifically calls on Ferrant, who worked with Eggman, someone else who just made an attempt on Bellahun's life. Like, Varaxis is saying, like, oh, he tried to kill my father, so I need to know where your loyalties lie. Um, Not even addressing that he's the one that actually had him killed, but I guess that that's not going to be the official story, of course. So he tells Ferrant, you're going to submit to an investigation so we can find out what role you played in Eggman's plot. And it kind of sucks. We don't know what the outcome of that's going to be, this investigation, He wants to find out if he was involved or if he didn't even know about it because he was, um, because of his ineptitude with his job. It's just, I do actually kind of feel bad for him. Ferrant hasn't been great, but he's not too crappy. Um, He's Dandelion's cousin, so it kind of makes you want to like him a little bit more. Um, But he, he did, he forged those fake documents that could have incriminated Geralt because he was, you know, following orders. I just, I, I doubt he had anything to do with Eggman's assassination attempt, so it just kind of sucks that he's in the doghouse. I do feel bad, but hey, nothing that can be done about it when the the new king the, that everybody's accepting as the king wants it done. It's going to get done, but maybe he'll be okay and get out of it. At the at the worst, hopeful, hopefully the worst thing is that he would get fired, which I don't wish that on him either, but hopefully he doesn't like get executed or imprisoned or anything. So he's called up to kneel before Veraxis, and he whispers to Geralt one more time, leave, which he does. So he and Dandelion are back outside, and they see Coral and Mosaic again, and they notice the blood on Geralt's clothes, so they can tell something's up, and they soon learn exactly what that is from the announcement made by the marshal of the court that the king has passed. So Coral points out that Bellahoon... Wasn't without his flaws. This is what I was referencing earlier. Uh, Bellahum wasn't without his flaws, but there were worse kings. And yeah, I, I, he definitely like the. Did he deserve to be assassinated? I don't know. It's kind of hard to say, but he, he definitely. Um, he was kind of like he kind of walked into it though, with how he was all over the place with who would inherit the throne once he died. Like he. Made it seem like it would be um, the son that he would have with his new wife, and he already had sons that existed, and he had a son banished who maybe deserved to be banished, but um, and he had a bunch of bastard children, which wasn't was never a good idea. They're typically in these feudal societies, bastard um, children of monarchs typically don't inherit the um, throne. It's just, uh, like he was just all over the place with that. And you can't be too shocked that his children were going to have him killed so that they could get the throne when they were probably meant to have taken the throne after him anyway, like the oldest son. Um, yeah, I could probably go on more about Belahoon and his flaws and talk more to Coral's point about how there were worse kings, but, um, I'm not going to do that right now. (laughs) So Coral then says, let's go from here. And it was still early afternoon. And that last line about it being early afternoon really puts it into perspective, how wild it was that so many of these drastic things happened in such a short span of time. And, uh, Oh, I'm I'm in my closing thoughts now, by the way. (laughs) It's uh it's also wild that there were just so many attempts on his life. Like like I said, it, I mean, you can't be too shocked that um, people were going to try to have him assassinated. But um, it's kind of surprising that they were all taking place on that day. I guess because they didn't want him to marry that woman and then have the chance of her getting pregnant when they consummate their marriage that night. But anyway, it's uh, it's kind of wild that he evaded so many assassination attempts. Then the um, Karak medallion necklace, we'll have to see if we get any further confirmation on Risberg's involvement, but if that was the same exact necklace, not just you know another one that looks the same, it'd be really interesting to see that there was a connection. There turned out to be a connection between Karak and Risberg because those plots felt so separated from one another like they they felt like they were completely different stories. So um, it's um it's kind of weird to think that they were part of the same book when you think about it but then it would be neat that at the towards the end of the book they end up having like this one little connection kind of like that. Okay, looking ahead well as we've only got two chapters left. I only have one little note here. And that is um, Geralt's swords. When is he going to get those back? We know that they should be maybe on their way. He should be getting them soon, but he still hasn't gotten them yet. So, hopefully we can see that (laughs) soon. Wouldn't that be funny if uh, you never see Geralt get them back by the time the book ends? I'm not. I, I, I did mention in the last episode, I have actually finished reading this book, so I know how it goes. So can't really talk too much about when we should expect it without spoiling, but yeah, we, that's just what I'm looking forward to. If it happens, who knows? Okay. I'll shut up. That's all I got for you for this one. But just to let you know, in case you didn't, these episodes are available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple podcast. Thank you so much for joining and I will catch you in the next episode.